Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Hi there, and welcome to the broadcast. This is Way of Grace, online at grace-bible.com, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward, with our teacher and pastor, Jessica Stan. A wise man once said, you can please some of the people all of the time, and you can please all of the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. Today's message deals with that very subject. The people of Israel were dissatisfied with the Lord, even though... He was doing something amazing in their lives and providing well for their needs. Join us, won't you? We're in Numbers chapter 11. Here's Pastor Jesse as he gets us started. So the law can show you what's right, but the law can't make you right. The law can condemn you, but it can't justify you. The law can show you the standard of obedience, but it can't conform you to that obedience that you need. Am I making sense? So the law can be a mirror for you, And that's what a lot of people love to do, put up the mirror on you. But you just tell them, turn that mirror around first, because you got to look at yourself in the mirror first before you turn it on other people. Am I making some sense? So Moses here, when he says, Lord, why are you showing me my affliction? Why are you showing me my weakness? And verse 15 says, why are you showing me my wretchedness? Because Moses, as a type of the law, is demonstrating that the law cannot do for one person, let alone 1.5 million people, what only the grace of God could do. Here's what you need to know. When Israel goes into the promised land, it won't be by Moses. When sinners enter into the grace of God, which is in Christ, it won't be by the works of the law. If sinners enter into the joy of freedom and liberty, and blessed righteousness, it won't be the righteousness of works by men. It'll be the righteousness of works by Christ. Now listen to the covenant explanation, which you need to have, because you as a child of God need to discern when people are coming to you with Moses and not Jesus. And church folk and religious folk love to do that. They'll set up their own systems of self-righteousness and plop them on you to impress you. And if you are ignorant of the sufficiency and the beauty and the fullness and the totality and the perfections of Christ, you will buy works religion and it will turn you into a monster too. Did that make some sense? It's very important to get it. Here's what the Hebrew writer says, for what the law could not what? For what the law could not do. What could it not do? It couldn't make you righteous. What couldn't the law do? It couldn't conform you to Christ. What couldn't the law do? It couldn't take away your sin. The law can't take away your sin. The law itself can't give you righteousness. The law can't change your heart. All it can do is inform you. 
For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And this is the thing. I'm going to drill this down for a minute to help some of you religious folk, because it's really important for you to learn whether or not you're a child of grace or a child of false works religion. It's important for you to know because there is a power in the law and a glory in the law like there's a glory in the gospel. We're going to really look at that in 2 Corinthians 3. You and I want to know whether or not we're wielding the sword of works righteousness, self-righteousness, me righteousness, rather than God's righteousness. You can do that through Gnosticism. What do I mean by that? You can tie people into knots based upon your intellectualism, how much you know. But I must tell you, how much you know can't save you nor them. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And so some people get, get tied up into what they know. What Paul taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is we all have knowledge. Knowledge does what? It pops up. But love edifies. And so there are some people whose legalism is rooted in how much they know intellectualism. Others are rooted in asceticism. That is, they can appear to be better than you because they don't smoke, drink, and cuss. I don't smoke. Okay. I don't drink, okay? I don't cuss, okay? What do you do? So now you're telling me what you don't do. Tell me what you do do. What about the porn? What about the lust in your heart, right? What about the subtle compromises that no one sees but God? See, all you're doing is lying to me, but I already know you're a liar because all men are liars. There's none righteous, no, not one. Right. So when you when you pretend you are better than somebody else, you are simply one rotten worm, a little bit better looking than another rotten worm. Both of you are rotten by nature. Am I making some sense? And so what Moses is doing is dealing with he's mitigating an inclination to make a horrible, horrible, horrible mess out of his calling. So God, often people will start off well. This happens with religious folk in the church all the time. They'll start off well, and the next thing you know, they've been hijacked by some temptation, and now they're serving the devil. This is why you have so much prosperity gospel going on. And prosperity gospel is all about Gnostic and ascetic legalism. In your prosperity gospels, they hijack people and apprehend them because they have special revelations and special insights and special knowledge. It's a bunch of... B.S. It's a lot of bologna sandwich. Did that make some sense? But you didn't pick up on it because you want something from God to be gotten by somebody else working for it and then blessing you with it if you give them a hundred dollars. That's religion. That's religion. You don't want to think. You don't want to think. You want somebody to give you something. And churches are filled with that. If I just give the man of God something, God will give me something back. Well, no, you and I must pursue God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And see, that requires labor. A lazy person will not obtain the kingdom. And so what Moses is doing is keeping himself out of that cadre of, of, you know, pretenders and clowns who can be stumbling blocks to a lot of people for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the what? Isn't that what Moses is saying? My flesh is weak. 
The flesh of this 1.3 million people is weak. Lord, they're weak. I'm weak. We're all getting ready to go to hell. What is Moses doing? He's telling the truth. Remember what, uh, what David said in Psalm 51? Out of the inward man is God calling for truth. He says it's the inner man that God is requiring. He desires truth from the inward man. And when you and I confess what we are by nature, we are on the pathway to liberation. That's what David knew. David exercised self-righteousness too. And God tore his butt up for it, did he not? David came to understand sacrifices and offerings you would not. A broken and a contrite heart you desire, O oh God. And here I'm telling you, child of God, you can't break your own heart. You cannot break your own heart. Men live to be 700 years old with hard hearts. They die in the hardness of their heart. You need God to break your heart. And when God breaks your heart, you know God did it. A human being can't break your heart. God has to break your heart. And when he breaks your heart, he takes you to the side. He doesn't humiliate you. God will never humiliate you. You and I will only humiliate ourselves. If we want to act a fool in public, then God will discipline us in public. But if you want to go in the house and go in the room with daddy, let daddy handle you. He knows how to humble you and not humiliate you. Right? A broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. But notice what it says. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin did what? Condemned sin in the flesh. Paul is acknowledging the weakness of the law. The fallibility of the law, particularly as a covenant. The Hebrew writer puts it like this in Hebrews chapter 8. Notice what it says in verse 7. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 7 through 13, he's also treating the same thing. He says, for if that first covenant, that's the old covenant, isn't it? Because we got two covenants, old covenant and new covenant, right? Please listen to the language. For if that first covenant had been what? Without fault, blameless, having all the capacity and capability of its promises. So the law tells you, if you obey the law, you shall live. Isn't that what it says? The law promises is that you follow God and submit to God you'll enter into the blessings and enjoy the fullness and benefits of the kingdom. The Bible says, if we obey the Lord, he will bless us. The problem is not with what the law demands. The problem is what the law cannot do in those demands when we break it. What good is a law given to you to do that you and I can't keep, and then the law has to turn around and kill you for it? Am I making some sense? And this is why the, uh, Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, that the law was designed to drive us to another alternative. Don't go anywhere. Look at what it says. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the what? This is what we love as New Testament believers. We are so persuaded that Jesus had to come because the whole world has become guilty before God and every mouth has been shut by the law of God. But Jesus came to remedy the problem that the law placed on us. Am I making some sense? Because the law has condemned all of us. I've already shared with you what the law said. Do you remember it? There's none righteous, no, not one. That's a huge problem. 
So, Lord, what are we going to do? Here, here we are, your people, we want you, we need you, but we're under the condemnation of the law. We need someone who can come along and bear the burden of the demands of the law and also bear the burdens of our violence against God's law. Am I making some sense? That's what the Hebrew writer is doing. Look at verse 8. We're going to walk this through. Hebrews 8, verse 8, for finding fault with them, that is Israel. Here's what God says. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a what? A new covenant. There's the word new, because Moses is the old, and Jesus is the new, and Jesus brought in the new covenant, and it was made perfect by his blood and righteousness. He was the spotless lamb of God that shed his uh, blood for our sins. And now you and I have access to a new and living way by the blood of Christ. Am I making some sense? So the Hebrew writer is letting you and I know, be careful not to be trapped by folks that want to put you back under that old system. Listen to it again. He says, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse nine. Verse 9, Hebrews 8, 9. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them and led them out of the land of Egypt. Here we are. That covenant that Israel is under right now in our reading, that covenant is going to only kill Israel. It's going to constantly condemn everything that they do. Moses won't bring them in. Joshua will. But even when they get in the land because they're under that old covenant, they're going to continue to sin and rebel against God. Are they not? They're going to continue to heap judgment up against themselves. This is what Paul taught us in Colossians chapter two. The ordinances that were written against us filled up with our transgressions. That ordinance that was against us daily, you and I by nature sin against God. Do we not? In thought, in intent, in motive, and in deed. If you're in Christ, all your sins have been nailed to the cross. If you're outside of Christ, you are constantly accruing to yourself. As Roman 2 puts it, you are heaping up wrath against the day of judgment and indignation against the righteousness of God. See, there's a day coming when everyone who has not bowed the knee to Christ will have to pay for their own sins. Am I making sense? It's a beautiful thing when you come to know the end of the law is Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, this is why I was talking to you a couple of weeks ago about that veil over Moses' face. National Israel was such a group of sinners that they could not see the glory of God on Moses as something they had a right to. They had an aversion to it. And remember what they said, Moses, you talk to God, we'll obey God through you. They were lying then. So Moses is dealing with a problem in our text where we're learning something about his own weakness as a representation of the covenant. Verse 10, I want to walk this through. We got a little more to go. I know I'm teaching you theology, so you may have the heebie-jeebies because you're not being taught in your churches. Just take some penicillin and, and antibiotics. You'll be okay. Because I'm teaching you what you and I are apart from Christ. And Moses is helping us. Listen to it. In verse 10, for this is the covenant that I'll I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them where? What, What is he talking about? He's talking about what it means to be saved. He's talking about what Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 36, 25. Take out the stony heart. I had one. Put in a heart of flesh. I got one. 
When a man or a woman is born again, God gives you a new nature. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. And then God shows up in your life and he starts writing the law on your heart. So you and I know internally what right is. Am I making some sense? And then the text tells us not only does he write it in our, go back to verse 10, please. Not only does he write it in our heart, uh, in our heart, he says he will be to them a what? And they shall be to me a what? That means God will be present with you. And what the Bible teaches us when we're born again, we have the third person in us that now shows us what's right and wrong, but more than show us, he leads us and guides us into obedience. Okay, this is so critically important for you and I to know, but it's not our works. It's the grace of God working through us. That's Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12, you've heard it before. This is such a very critical idea that I'm tying down right now. And this has to do with God working in you the will and to do of his good pleasure. Have you guys heard it before? Right? God is the one that works in you the will and to do of his good pleasure. All right. So go with me on as we go on and sub point B of our outline. I want to lock this down right quick. Not only did Moses sin in his heart, but Moses did what? He sought God for help. That is the point I want you to get. He deferred to Christ. He employed a redemptive solution to what began as a self-righteous stoning of the sinner. When he said in his heart he was experiencing evil, he wanted to see them killed. That is equivalent to stoning the sinner. You remember when that woman that was taken in adultery was brought to Jesus? The very Pharisees who boasted themselves to be Moses' disciples, didn't they? We be Moses' disciples. Now we know. So you want to stone everything that's not like you. And this woman taken in adultery, they, they didn't know that they were fulfilling Moses because Moses is designed to run the sinner to Christ. And they thought on this Sunday school morning, they was going to kill this woman when all they did was brought her to the man who would die in her behalf. Am I making some sense? That woman was scared to death. Now, she might have had a little bit more confidence if one of those brothers would have admitted they were the one screwing around with her. That's why Master went and wrote on the ground because he was mocking the father, mimicking the father who had taken two stone tables out of the rock and written with his own finger the Ten Commandments. And when those wicked rulers who loved pointing their finger at everybody else, saw their names in the stone. One by one, they all said, you know, I think, I'm, I think I'll go have some lunch. She was not saved by the law. She was saved by grace. She was saved by the grace of God. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And this is what Moses is teaching us here. He says, kill me, and kill me is an echo of the third person, telling you and I that the second person must die for our sins. You and I have to die daily, and we do it in the person of Jesus. When you are struggling with the iniquity of your heels, when you are troubled with the inclination to be self-righteous, join Moses in saying to God, what? Kill me. Kill me. Kill it, Lord. Kill it. Free me from this wretched man. Free me from this wretched man. That's what Moses says. Lord, I don't want to see my wretchedness. That's what he says in verse 15. And this is why Paul, 
who also knew the law, picked it up in Romans chapter seven. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death, right? I thank God, therefore, I, with the flesh, serve the law of sin. It's in my members. But by the spirit of God, I serve the law of Christ in my heart. So I'm living with that, that tension. I'm living with that conflict. Are you? If you don't have this conflict, you're not saved. If you don't have this conflict, you're not saved. And to be successful in your forward progression and walk with God, you have to know how to negotiate the sustaining of your evil impulses by delivering them unto God through Christ and seeing them nailed to the cross. Because you're liberated only through the power of grace. That's what Moses is teaching us. I love this. And then this is something very interesting that comes out of the Lord's response. Will you notice going back to our text? And this is what God said in verses 16 through 17. I want you to see this. And the Lord said unto Moses, gather unto me 70 men of the elders whom you know to be elders of the people and, and, and the officers over them and bring them to the tabernacle of the congregation that they may stand there with who? With you, Moses. Now, I want you to see this. this is going to be very important. This is why we tell you, you cannot understand the New Testament without the old. And you cannot understand the Old Testament completely unless you lead, allow it to lead you to the New Testament. Because here we have a foreshadowing of events that happened in the New Testament. Y'all know that, right? You know we are headed to Pentecost. You know we're headed to Pentecost. Do you not know that? Moses is the main leader. He points to who? Moses has elders under him. Jesus has apostles under him. There will be 120 in the upper room who will have the same anointing that Jesus did. Are y'all coming with me? Do you see what's happening here? We're seeing a foreshadowing of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on men and women who are called to represent God in the community. This is so important. Notice what it says. He says, they're going to stand there with you. And verse 17 is a recapitulation. Look at verse 17. And here's what Jesus says to Moses. Now, those of you who know that the voice of the father is always the son. Y'all know that. Jesus is talking to Moses. The father never moves. He's always on his throne. If God comes down, it's Jesus coming down. I told you Jesus is the visible Yahweh. He's the one always coming. He's the mediator between God and man, is he not? And here's what Jesus says to Moses. Y'all got this? He says, and when I come down, I will talk with thee there. Well, he already did that back in Numbers in uh, Exodus 34, verse 5, did he not? Jesus loves to come down and talk with us. Whenever you're in trouble, say, Lord Jesus, come down and talk with me. And he will do that by his spirit because what he said in John chapter 14, verse 21 through 23, if any man love me, he will keep my commandments and I and my father will abide with him. We will take our seat in his heart, her heart and dwell with them and fellowship with them. God promises that. The only way you and I know the father is because of the son. The only way we know the son is because of the Holy Ghost. The very spirit that Jesus is going to take off of Moses and put on 70 men. Let's watch how this works. It's very important because you're getting ready to see how God's going to foreshadow his care of a bunch of rebel sinners before he exercises a righteous judgment. Here it is. He says, and I will take of my spirit, which is upon you, 
and I will put it upon them. Don't we want what Jesus had? And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you do not what? Bear it alone. Do you see the New Testament now? Do you see how the apostles now who waited for Jesus to come? And this is what John chapter 20 around 21 says. And when Jesus showed up in the upper room, he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Did he not? So the New Testament church is established upon the doctrine of the apostles and the Old Testament prophets and Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Well, you are listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. Closing out our time together today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know how the program encourages you in your walk with Christ. Questions, comments, prayer requests are always welcome. You can either write to us, give us a call, or stop by our website and drop us an email. Now, the best place to go, of course, is the website. Not only will you be able to write to us via email, you'll be able to get more information about who we are, what we believe, worship times, how to get here. Grace-Bible.com is our website. Again, that's Grace-Bible.com. If you wish to give us a call, the number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, our address is 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street. Here in Hayward, the zip code 94541. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. One final note as we close out our time today, this program is listener-supported. If you wish to partner with us, we would be more than grateful. This broadcast airs throughout the Bay Area, as well as online, impacting thousands for the sake of Christ. And that is our hope and our goal. If you'd like to partner with us along those lines, feel free to write or give us a call. No gift is too large, no gift too small, whether a one-time gift or a monthly support. You're more than welcome to reach out. We would love to partner with you as we minister the gospel of Jesus to the Bay Area and the World Wide Web. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525.